attendees so everyone knows that you are here. And then you can settle in with your candle and a comfy seat and a beverage of choice. Good morning and morning, yes indeed. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, everyone here on Facebook as well. We are glad that you are with us. One driver, one texter, no candle lighter in car. Ah, well, you have the big natural light on your side there, Judy and Randy. Good morning, Cynthia. Cynna. Good morning, Trish. I know you're sad not to see all of our faces, but I hope this smiling face will do for the moment. Good morning, Joe. Oh, good. Joe will be back in DC tomorrow. That'll be great. DC will welcome you back. <laughs> good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Bill. We'll take another moment or two to let folks continue to join the room. Remind you to if you want to gather your candle for the candle lighting and your beverage and settle in. Good morning, Benjamin. Good morning, Brian and Leanne. Good to have you with us this morning. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Christine. Those folks are still coming in. We're, oh, let's see, Maceo. Yep, Maceo reminds us that coffee hour, though we're not having coffee hour this morning in particular, but usually coffee hour is a great place to see each other. And obviously there are lots of other activities during the week, a good time to check in where we get to see each other in small groups, face-to-face -face, through a screen, of course, but definitely a chance to be connected more directly. Yep. Good morning, Johnny and Wayne, both. Good morning, good to have you with us this morning. Yes, Lynn is right. We'll see each other's faces during the membership meeting, which will be following immediately after platform this morning. The Brisk and Lime houses are here this morning. Good morning. Indara is with us this morning as well. Good morning, Indara. Our numbers are still going up a little bit, so we'll give folks another moment or so to join the room and settle in. Good morning, Julie. Joining another Julie already with us. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, Bonnie. Great to have everybody here this morning on a beautiful, starting to feel like autumn morning, just on the cusp. 
Good morning, Roberta. Uh, Maceo notes that uh, next week for coffee hour, we're going to have theme topics rooms. So that'll be exciting and interesting. Good morning, Catherine. Ocaster is with us too. Nancy McGuire, good morning. Says hi to all. Good morning, Josh. Oh, we're glad you're back too. Good morning, Shayla. Well, as folks continue to join us, good morning, Rachel. I just, just a last reminder that um, this is a good time to gather your candle to light during the candle lighting and your beverage of choice. And then I encourage you to settle into a comfortable seat as we continue to gather. And we will begin in just a moment. So yes, Maceo is adding that next week we'll have themes in our coffee hour. But for now, I think we will begin. Our opening words this morning come from Reverend Gretchen Haley. We become human when we break promises and yet somehow find ways to reconnect and begin again. When we repair the relationship because we know we need each other. It is this beginning again that makes us human. For our opening music, guest musician Michelle Swan has recorded one of her pieces for us. This is Love Song. This is a a song that I wrote early COVID, uh, it's a love song to music actually, and uh, I realized how important it was to me um, through those early dark times where there was just a lot of unknowns and I really, I wrote a lot, I listened a lot, collaborated a lot, and uh, this is a song I wrote called um, Love Song, and my cat is probably going to join me. Sweet music to my 
shall be listened <clears throat> and to behold the fiddle that brings tears to my eyes. You are the happy in my ground. First morning bird. That was lovely. Well, welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Leka. My pronouns are per and pers, shorthand for person. And I'm so glad you are here this morning. Even as we gather in new ways, it is good to be together. It seems especially so as we explore our monthly theme of renewal. Visitors, we especially welcome you from near and far. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceo at ethicalsociety.org. Sorry, that's maceo t, M-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form and Maceo will put that link in the chat. I also want to say a very special welcome to a new person in our community. Um, Mirka and Hunter Willis welcomed baby Vivian Clare to the world on Thursday morning. And so we'll get, an, I'm sure, a more official notice about that. But I just wanted to let everybody know that um, we have a new baby in our midst. And that's very exciting to all of us, I'm sure, not least the happy parents. <laughs> Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. So if you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it on your device by clicking on the red dot in the upper left of the chat box 
or clicking on the chat icon at the bottom or top of your screen, or even just like sticking a post-it note or something on your screen where the chat is so that you're not distracted by the pop-ups. Sometimes low tech is the best option. Each week, a member of our community reads our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. And if you are interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash readsop. This week, Josh Blinder, a member of our board, will be our reader. And so Josh, it's over to you. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Josh. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of, the light understanding, of understanding, and the, and fire, the fire of, of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Well, greetings, friends. I am Lynn Cox, and I'm the interim leader of the Washington Ethical Society. You may use she, her, or they, them pronouns for me. We are altering our plan a little bit for this morning's platform because we must acknowledge our grief. On Friday, our nation and our world lost a giant of legal scholarship, a defender of democracy and human rights, a role model, a patron of the arts, a person of unrelenting brilliance and tenacity who used her mind and heart to make the world better and to invite the people around her to be better. We mourn for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you have an, a memory of or an appreciation for Justice Ginsburg, you can share that in the chat now or hold on to it to share with your friends later. Washington DC is a small town in many ways. The city is filled with stories of people who would not be where they are without her example, without her work for the ACLU or her time as a Supreme Court Justice, stories about her love of the arts and her ability to draw from Shakespeare, stories about her warmth and clever wit. Though I never met Justice Ginsburg, my life and all of our lives are better for her legacy. I was born in 1973, the same year she argued the Frontero case in front of the Supreme Court. My ability to speak to you today as a professional leader owes in part to her work on that case and to all of her other work dismantling gender discrimination. Her loss is devastating, all the more so for those who had a personal connection with her. Like many of you, I have been reading tributes to Justice Ginsburg, though I've tried to take breaks from the tidal wave of words in the news and on social media. 
One of the pieces I've appreciated is from Arya Nair, who was executive director of the ACLU during the time Justice Ginsburg was affiliated as a lawyer there. He said, Ruth was careful to build brick upon brick. She wanted to create a stable structure. She wasn't interested in reaching for the roof right away. In my tenure at the ACLU, this was the most clearly planned litigation strategy. Nair's observation is a reminder to all of us that liberation is built brick by brick. One carefully planned action after another, one response to spontaneous opportunity after another, one mentoring relationship after another, strengthening people and networks one at a time. Today we mourn. Tomorrow we get back to the work that Justice Ginsburg has entrusted to all of us. We take this step by step and we do the next right thing. In keeping with the traditions of this community, I invite you to join me in a remembrance meditation. If it helps you to be present, you can close your eyes or soften your gaze. Bring into your mind's eye, into your heart, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Remember what she looked like, perhaps from pictures of her from long ago, perhaps from seeing a picture of her recently. You may have in mind something she said in an interview or in a written opinion or in person if you were lucky enough to hear her. Remember that she was also a mother, a grandmother, a wife, a widow, a person with interests and passions and friends. Bring her into your mind as fully as you can. Now that you're holding Justice Ginsburg in your mind in all of her fullness, all of her humanity, I want to invite you to focus on one specific trait, one value that Justice Ginsburg held, something you particularly admired about her. Perhaps it was her intellect or her perseverance or her sense of humor. Whatever you choose, imagine reaching out to hold that special trait or value. And now in your mind's eye, bring it to yourself. If you like, you can imagine that value you remember in her as residing somewhere on your body where you can be reminded of it later. Maybe on your shoulder or whispering into your ear or near the hands and feet and heart that you will use to carry the work of dismantling discrimination. As we continue our platform and go on with the rest of our day and week, and lifetime, carry with you that special trait or value that you admired so much in Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Allow her commitment, her kindness, her vision to guide your own life. May we honor her death by continuing to live her values in the world. May her memory be for a blessing. May her memory be for a revolution. So be it, and let's continue in meditation.
Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of our Jewish friends who are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. The words for this meditation come from Spilling the Light, the title poem in a book by the Reverend Teresa Soto. They write, some people are used to keeping the rules. Don't cross the street when a light is red, only sensible. It turns out that keeping rules isn't the same as keeping covenant, which asks us, instead of keeping a bright line, to keep our promises. To what have we promised ourselves? To this moment in time and place, to this community and even tenderly interconnected, this planet. We promise ourselves to the idea that we are each and all human beings. We promise that there is something moving between us that we cannot tame and cannot measure. The chalice is a reminder that what flame we keep inside us cannot light the way. We must spill to shine. The light must spill to shine. The thing you must be is yourself. Unadulterated, shedding the willingness to journey alone as though you are made of something hard and unforgivable. You are human, you belong right here, right now. And together, we will chase away the sickness, the secrets, and leave only the open possibility that the future is a space for growth. We continue our meditation in silence.
Greetings, this is an original song called Life Spell. Take with me everything I know 
This rehearsal's over Where's the show? Hold on tight Now let go mm. If I could Would I take back The life that I've lived? Yeah Take back all the love Joy All that pain and sorrow would there be less forgiven So this story has traveled around the world and be re been retold in several traditions. I learned it from a Jewish storyteller. I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. Once there was a wise teacher whose students were having trouble getting along. As they studied together, they would let their arguments turn into grudges. A grudge is when you stay mad at someone for a long, long time. Not only did the students harbor grudges against each other, they were irritated with friends and neighbors outside the school. So what happens when someone feels angry? The students were crabby. They couldn't focus on their studies. They forgot to be joyful about the good things in their lives. The teachers called all of the students together outside the kitchen door where there was a wheelbarrow heaping with potatoes. The students were asked to take one potato for every person against whom they harbored anger. And they wrote the name of a person they were mad at on each potato, just carved it right in there. And the teacher told them to carry these grudge potatoes with them wherever they went. And the students went about their daily tasks, figuring out clever ways to carry potatoes along with them. They made potato sack backpacks and they kept potatoes in the bottoms of their purses and they put potatoes in the roomy pockets of winter coats. And for the first week or two, the students were confident. I've got this potato thing licked. I can run around town all day and carry my grudge potatoes. After a while though, the extra weight began to take its toll the students had back problems, they couldn't rest at night with the potatoes right beside them, and the smell was also a problem. Uh, the potatoes started to rot. Carrying grudges was limiting the students' lives more than they expected, and some of them got used to it. They forgot that there was ever a time without that extra weight on their shoulders. Finally, the teacher called the students together again. This time they gathered around the compost bin and the teacher said, look at your potatoes. Are there any that you can drop? Can you release your anger? And the students took out their potatoes and examined them and they couldn't even necessarily read 
all of the names that had seemed so important a few weeks ago. So right away, they chopped up almost all of the potatoes and added them to the compost bin, returning them to the earth. And as they worked, they offered forgiveness to each other. Now, some of the potatoes still seemed important to the students and the teacher invited the students to put those potatoes on the grass beside them when they meditated outdoors or on the windowsill in front of them as they read books about the principles of their tradition. The teacher asked the students to learn alongside these potatoes and then to bring them into the compost bin when they were ready. And that's just what they did. One by one, all of the potatoes were broken down into the compost. And the next spring, the garden was healthier than ever and smelled a lot better than a rotten potato. So ends the story. Well, this has been and continues to be a difficult year. One of the things that we're learning over and over again is that choices have a ripple effect because we are all connected. A person's decisions to wear a mask or wash their hands affects other people. A mayor's or a governor's decision about how to keep people safe and strategies for mitigating poverty and unemployment affects even more people. Our collective decisions about climate change affect all forms of life sometimes in dramatic ways like hurricanes, flooding, and wildfires. We're also learning that being in relationship is important to us. We maintain friendships and family ties as best we can. We adapt to new ways of meeting for platform, for deepening circles, for book groups, and just for socializing. We might linger on social media for longer than is advisable. I think many of us are feeling viscerally how important it is to stay connected. This connectedness means that when we make mistakes, they affect more people than might be obvious. And it means that we are affected by the choices of people who may not realize their responsibility to the rest of us. This connectedness means we have many opportunities to make mistakes. And yet perhaps this connectedness may give us avenues for healing for learning, for drawing out the best in each other and therefore in ourselves. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about forgiveness. My colleague, Joan Johnson Lewis at the Riverdale Yonkers Society for Ethical Culture tells us that Felix Adler spoke about this. Adler wrote, every kind of morally hurtful act is an attempt in some fashion to live at the expense of other life. The spiritual principle is live in the life of others in the energy expended to promote the essential life in others. Moral badness is self-isolation, detachment. Spirituality is consciousness of infinite interrelatedness. Adler said, spirituality is consciousness of infinite interrelatedness. In other words, our mutual responsibility is great and so is the power of our relatedness. Forgiveness is in some ways a process of grief. The person who understands that they have hurt someone may have some grief about their choices or about incorporating their capacity for harm into their self-concept, right? 
you have to you have to lose the idea that you are incapable of that harm. And so you have some grief for that version of yourself. And the person who's called to let go of their resentments may have some grief about letting go of what might have been or grief when the person who has made a mistake is not yet ready to grow and change from it. In the process of coming to terms with a disruption in that infinite interrelatedness, we may have to let our expectations of the future die or our wish for a different past or our plans for the future. Engaging with forgiveness from all sides, from the perspective of the one who has been hurt and from the perspective of the one who has hurt someone else, engaging with forgiveness is hard and it's possible. Brene Brown says that because forgiveness involves dealing with grief and because people tend to avoid grief and shame, forgiveness can be a difficult topic to tackle. In an interview, she said, if something has to die in order for forgiveness to happen and people are deathly afraid to feel grief, then we won't forgive anybody because I don't wanna feel grief. And Brown goes on to say that her faith helped her move through that. Though most of us don't share her faith, let's, let, let's listen carefully. Still speaking about forgiveness and grief, she said, I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. But what it ended up saying is, I will sit with you in it. I never thought until I found it that that would be enough, but it's perfect. It's just, I don't feel alone in it anymore. So whether or not we agree in a higher power, what I'm getting from this quote is that being connected helps us to bear the pain of letting things go. Being in community helps. Being accountable to the ethical principles of a human-oriented tradition helps. It's not necessarily advice or agreement, and it definitely isn't an impulse to fix someone else's grief, but just being present with one another helps us to gather the courage to engage in forgiveness. This is, as I understand it, a large part of the reason to be active in an ethical culture society. Being with other people who share our values gives us courage and encouragement and challenge and resources for staying committed to those values. The question then becomes how to stay together. As a community that is bonded on the basis of action rather than creed, the promises we make to each other are part of the glue that holds the community together. Some of those promises are spoken and some of them are unspoken. We can disagree about ideas without rejecting people. We bring our whole selves into this community fully present, accepting all aspects of identity that make our companions who they are. Whoever you are and whomever you love, you are welcome here. Those are some of the promises, spoken or unspoken. At West, some of the promises are included in the Community Relations Pact. The four sections of the pact invite us to healthy connection. The first section asks us to improve our communication skills with things like direct communication and expressing gratitude. The second section asks us to build and sustain relationships with practices like accepting responsibility for our actions, expressing regret for harm we have caused and offering to make amends. The third section asks us to model healthy disagreement and to use Wes's conflict resolution process. 
And the fourth section reminds us that all of our relationships are affected by systemic oppression. And that section urges us to do the work of building an inclusive, multicultural community. Uh, maybe after the, after the address is over, we can put the uh, URL for the pact in the chat. So this being a human community, we need to cultivate ways to lovingly call each other back into relationship because there will be mistakes. Coming back to the table when a promise has been broken is a necessary aspect of community agreements. For an agreement to be powerful and resilient, it must take into account human imperfection. Being part of an agreement like the Community Relations Pact requires attention. It's work. Being connected means we voluntarily give up some of our freedom. It gives us the freedom to fail and to come back from failure, right? So we give up some of our individualistic freedom, but we gain back a different kind of freedom. We get the freedom to fail and to come back from failure. In a resilient community, we have the freedom to be broken, to have our brokenness recognized, and to be appreciated for the entire picture, broken and whole, flawed and fabulous. Knowing that there is room in this circle of community for the entirety of life, may each person know the freedom to lay out all of the challenges and anxieties and works in progress and gifts and talents they bring with them into this community. This is the vision, and yet we all know that staying connected is harder than it sounds. There are forces at work in our culture that push for detachment and isolation instead of recognizing our infinite interrelatedness. Holding on to resentment is so easy. And just as the students in today's story found, resentments can be heavier than they seem. Letting go of grudges is something that I struggle with. I'm still working on it. For some people, letting go is a more complex process, and it's not healthy or justice-oriented to rush especially when it involves trauma or repeated and prolonged harm. Within the realm of everyday forgiveness and reconciliation, I still struggle and I keep returning to the work and I hope I'm going in the right direction. Forgiveness can involve retaining the memory without continuing to feed the feelings of anger and disappointment. It can lead to making amends, reconciliation and a stronger relationship especially when more than one person is engaged in the process. Occasionally, though, forgiveness means letting something be in the past and finding a way to love someone from afar because the hurt is too deep and the harmful behavior is too persistent for closeness. But for everyday injuries, may we practice forgiveness in ways that are healthy for ourselves and life-affirming for all. Sometimes resentments are attempts to prevent being hurt in the same way twice. But grudges do not necessarily offer protection and they have their own drawbacks. Addressing the incident directly, saying what happened, how you feel and what requests, if any, you would like to make to the other person is one way to reduce the risk of being hurt again. Not eliminate, but reduce the risk of this being a learning experience. At the very least, the thought that goes into the expression of direct address helps with learning from experience. 
it's so easy to jump from ouch to you don't care about me or you're a bad person in a moment of anger, right? There's the ouch and then there's the inference. So reflect on the facts first. Notice your feelings. Your feelings are real. And figure out what you really need. And then decide how to respond. Direct address is not a guarantee, but I think the benefits outweigh the risks. Carving a negative experience into the mental equivalent of stone or even the mental equivalent of a potato takes a lot of time and effort. And then you have this heavy thing that you have to carry around. It may be that some distance is necessary for physical safety. Honor your own well being and boundaries, yet also account for what is lost when a grudge takes the lead. When an event is far in the past, you can hold on to the wisdom you gained from that experience and the memory of the strengths that you showed in navigating through it without pacing continuous circles of resentment and judgment. Whether something is carved in a potato or carved in stone or released into the compost depends on how much time and energy you devote to committing the facts and the feelings and the inferences to memory. Choose consciously and forgive when you can. For some of us, forgiving others is easier than forgiving ourselves. Self-compassion presents a number of challenges. Unlike conflicts with other people, we don't have as many options for putting temporary distance between ourselves and ourselves while we reflect on what we need. One of the options of the options that we do have for putting that distance between ourselves and ourselves, few of them are healthy for very long. Self-compassion helps us to continue to do the work of reflection in moments when we doubt ourselves or when other people doubt us. Self-compassion reminds us that we have value no matter what setbacks occur. One of the hard truths about running away from self-compassion is that it can be a way for our minds and souls to try to get us ourselves off the hook from responsibility for our moral choices. Oh, I am such a wretch. I cannot possibly be held to a standard of human behavior. All is lost. I will give up now and go and live in the wilderness among the locusts. So the impulse to retreat into self-castigating isolation is familiar to me. Perfectionism is a tempting poison, and perfectionism is a liar. Community is made of human beings, whether or not we get everything right. And that's good because we most certainly will not get everything right. We always have the option to turn aside from destructive choices. We are capable of doing better, though not perfectly. We have the freedom and the responsibility to get back up again, after we've come to terms with our shortcomings and limitations. In the reading we heard earlier, my colleague, the Reverend Teresa Soto said, the thing you must be is yourself. Unadulterated, shedding the willingness to journey alone as though you are made of something hard and unforgivable. You are human. You belong right here, right now. And together, we will chase away the sickness, the secrets, and leave only the open possibility that the future is a space for growth. 
The future is a space for growth. Understanding this open space and that we need not be perfect to move forward is essential for our ability to make moral choices in matters of social justice, as well as everyday relationships and spiritual growth, as if those things could be too far separated. Far too often fearing that we will get it wrong or that it won't be enough or that we can't be guaranteed success makes a barrier to our participation in movements for justice and compassion. We might get so overwhelmed by the enormity of the many interlocking human rights crises going on that we don't know where to begin. We can begin somewhere imperfect because all of the places to begin are imperfect. Letting go of the lie of perfection means that we can stop both running away in shame and defending our veneer of goodness from the truth that threatens to expose us. Instead, we can learn from our mistakes and limitations and allow what we learn to lead us into transformation, to bring us closer to right relationship with each other. The thing you must be is yourself. Have compassion for the previous version of you who had to make decisions without all of the information or resources or support you might have needed. Have compassion for the current version of you whose imperfection opens up the future as a space for growth. And let us face the wide open space of that future as imperfect people practicing compassion for ourselves and each other. Engaging with forgiveness from whichever end we happen to be on is imperative because of our infinite interrelatedness. Engaging with forgiveness is hard because of our infinite interrelatedness. Gathering the courage and the insight we need to engage with forgiveness is possible in part because of infinite interrelatedness. Let's stay committed to the communities that help us bring out these qualities of accepting responsibility and repairing relationships and stay committed to the promises we make in the process. Let's let go of resentments that aren't serving to bring out the best in ourselves and others. Once we have accepted responsibility and offered to make amends and committed to doing better, let's include ourselves in the circle of forgiveness. So be it. After some reflection music, we're gonna open up the chat for community sharing. In an effort to draw out more personal experience and thoughtful responses during community sharing time, we've been offering a framing question. If you have something else you wanna say, that's fine. Think of this as a writing prompt and you can take it or leave it. And today's question is a two-sided coin. What makes it possible to admit your mistakes and offer to make amends? What makes it possible for you to let go of resentments? You might be sitting with the challenge of accepting responsibility. You might be sitting with the challenge of releasing an experience into the past and moving on with your life. What makes these things possible? How do you find the courage, the insight, the perseverance to seek or offer forgiveness? Let's contemplate, rest, and reflect as we experience the beauty of the musical response. I'm gonna do a Brandy Carlisle song. This is called, That Wasn't Me.
I'm not asking you to move on or forget it for these are better days to be long all along admitting it's not amazing grace but to be loved like a song you remember even when you've changed tell me did I go Thanks so much, Lynn. And also thanks for this great music. You have to think about, would it not be me or would it be me? How will we respond in these moments when we've made mistakes or have others to mistakes to respond to? So this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform, on what resonates to us in our own lives. 
And so you may consider the questions Lynn posed to us, which were, what makes it possible to admit your mistakes and offer to make amends? And what makes it possible for you to let go of resentments? And I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or on Facebook comments. And I see some things coming in already. I'll read a few as I can catch them as they go by. Um, and we've posted the link to the community relations packed into the chat as well for folks to check out those, those details that we have collectively worked on and, and um, committed to work on together. Peter Bishop says, striving for excellence makes it easier for me to avoid resentments and grudges. Sometimes setting too high a bar causes me to withdraw. I agree that moving projects forward in some way is much better than waiting for a much more excellent idea. Mark Mayer says, a lot to think about. Thanks, you hit a home run. Jeff Mehal, I especially appreciated the part of the platform address. Oops, it's scrolled by already. Uh, Christina, I can admit mistakes and make amends if I'm reasonably sure the other people person won't be a jerk about it, which makes me regret doing so, which is basically never because I have a deep-seated trust issues when others fall wax. Adam says, at my best, I succeed at taking a step back in moments of frustration or resentment and take my ego out of the situation. I ask what's really happening here and then work towards reestablishing community in my relationships. Joe Lennon says, beautiful platform, another one to listen to again. I often find that people I know are much nicer to others than to themselves. To them, I say, do unto yourself as you would do unto others. Trishwa says, our trust and acceptance of each other and our goodwill allows resentments to be released. Rich from the Baltimore Ethical Society, I like the idea of forgiveness without necessarily opening lines of communications. Oops, things are scrolling past very quickly. Shayla says, the desire to be in a healthy, positive relationship with another person is what makes it possible to apologize and to offer to make amends. Let's see. Briskin family is saying, whole family, we also have a song for lesser moments of mistakes to lighten the burden of admitting error. We sing, you were right, I was wrong. That is why I sing this song almost always with a smile. Adam sings the song a lot. <laughs> That's great. That is nice. A song often makes things go down easier. It's like that spoonful of sugar. <laughs> And Baker says, being able to listen to and really understand what is motivating the other person helps make forgiveness possible. Understanding is key. Nancy McGuire says, I'm writing my memoir. No small task, that, Nancy. And I had a rough sketch of a, of a wrap-it-up chapter. This morning, I was listening to Lynn and writing notes. Whoops as fast as I could. This was so in line with what I wanted to explore in that chapter, and I have a pretty good rough draft now. Serendipity. There we go. Trisha Weil agrees with Anne. Suzanne Weiss says, for me, one element of forgiveness is, do I want to write or do I want to be happy? And Glenn Denning, I have to trust the other person to try to talk about the conflict. I feel I have to protect myself first. Forgiving without continuing the relationship is so difficult. That is hard. <clears throat> yep, I hear what you're saying, Peter, Bob Bishop. There's just a lot happening quickly. I hope folks can also take a chance to go through. Oh, 
So people feeling this is resonating with a lot of folks today. Yeah, Julie says, but in my political life, I'm not so forgiving. I don't think that's going to change because I'm not let go of my vision for a better world with justice, equity, inclusion, peace. And I resent people who act in ways that undermine these values. Yeah, that is a hard scenario. Uh, I think that is Julie Drizzen, I believe. It's hard to tell because of my chat window because I've got many pieces I have to watch. <laughs> It is Julie Drizzen, she's saying. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was inferring correctly there. <laughs> well, thanks, folks. This is, this is a tough topic, as Lynn noted. There's lots of pieces to it here. I think this is one of the beauties of being in an ethical society. We talk about it as a living lab. You know, it is this, this place that we, we gain the freedom of being able to make mistakes, of failing, of making corrections, of trying again, of of learning how to come back to being in right relationship. Susan Ewing says it's hard to both say anything and to believe in being heard, even with good intentions. Then there is saying the right things and being interpreted as intending. Low self-worth and that feeling of being unheard are related. Sure, for sure. Yeah, Katrina says, I know that working for social change and those values complicates this considerably and is worth further exploration, indeed. And we are certainly in a time of intense uh, exploration of social justice and, and making choices. And so we will be continuing to, to engage in those, those, those valuations and those choices and those actions as we go head toward elections, for sure. Abby Dakin says, I'm ready to confront my own mistakes if I can keep in mind that making a mistake doesn't make me a bad person. Of course, the person I've hurt can sometimes help me with that, but my growing edge is to be better at not needing that help. You know, Carol Wowie, trying to put myself in the other person's shoes helps, but hard. Judy says, you can copy and paste your comments if you forgot to change to panelists and attendees. <laughs> Thanks for that reminder, Judy. Sarah Morgan, I agree with Julie Drizzen. In the current political environment, I think forgiveness is not exactly what I personally am striving for. I don't want revenge, but I do not intend to compromise my deepest values. Right. Dorothy Broadman, it's very liberating to think through the reason why for other people's hurtful behavior. Hmm. Yeah. It's tricky. It's it's good to consider. It's hard to uh, inference can be a tricky thing. So it's good to join. Perry Bider, forgiveness isn't the issue for ongoing misdeeds. Good point. Nancy McGuire again. Maybe the other person is striving for the same goals I am, but they see things from a different angle. They could be just as angry at me as I am at them. Mm -hmm. So it makes communication key, right? Asking, seeking to understand, listening. All important pieces. Lots more to dig into here. Clearly, lots more to discuss. Good suggestions, Peter. I hope that folks can all continue to uh, continue to wade back through the chat, reflect on each other's sharings as we continue. But I think at this point, we're going to move on with our morning. And just as we continue to share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. 
Here at West, half of the Sunday collection goes towards supporting the mission and activities of this congregation, and half of undesignated donations are shared with a program whose values resonate with our own ethical culture principles. Both are important, especially as Wes and all of our community partners are transforming to meet the needs and challenges of this current chapter of history. This month, we are sharing the plate with family and friends of incarcerated people, which seeks to bring services to the children of the incarcerated and at-risk youth. FFLYP promotes social, cultural, and youth development as a way of avoiding intergenerational incarceration. If you are a visitor this morning, we invite you to be our guest today. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. You'll see we have a give by text option to the number on the screen, 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. We will now receive your gifts and the musicians' gifts of music while we hear from Michelle Swan an instrumental piece. Keep reading.
Hmm. Thank you so much to the many people who to help to create this morning's time together. Our speaker, Lynn Cox, musicians Michelle Swan, and interim music coordinator Leah Morris, who we'll hear from shortly. Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Jen Watson, who created our slides. Robin Kravitz for communication support and hosting our coffee hour usually, though not this morning. You'll hear why in a moment. And tech host Sonia Coopers. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. Members remember that immediately after platform, there is a special media meeting via Zoom, of course, to approve the 2021 budget. You might recall that back in June, given so much uncertainty that we passed a budget that was just for the first quarter, and now we are prepared to proceed for the full year. So please take a quick, sorry, my, excuse me, one second, my battery's about to die. My, laptop so i've got a plug in here um, take a brief bio break and then join us for this important piece of congregational business and you'll log into that meeting you'll visit tiny.cc slash west membership meeting bear with me one second there we go powered back in um, and uh, that link will be li listed again at the end of platform. And our thanks in advance to Ellen Kahn, who is serving as our membership meeting moderator. Our community partner of the month, Family and Friends of Incarcerated People, is accepting donations of school supplies, as well as your gifts from the shared collection. So if you check your email, a link went out for their wish list so, you can, so that donations can be sent directly to the FFOIP office so that those students are uh, appropriately equipped for the school year. Um, as you will see on the screen in a bit, um, we have several opportunities for West members and friends to check in during the week. Um, there's a variety of support groups and various check-ins. I guess you'd like to see my face maybe a little bit more than my torso. There we go. Um, and a reminder that our weekly 16th Street Vigil um, in support of Black Lives Matter continues each Friday evening. But now that it's getting dark earlier, the vigil and the sidewalk chalk art for all ages are both beginning at 4.30. And um, our West auction, Live From Your Couch Pants Optional, is coming up in October. But organizer Sarah Morris is ready to receive your donations now. And so if you go into the website, you'll see an online form for, with more details about how to make your contributions. And you can find details for these and all of our other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. And thank you for being here with us this week and in the weeks to come. And so I invite you now to sing along at home to our closing song for the month, which is Building a New Way. We are building a new We are building a new way. We are building a new way, growing stronger every day. We are building a new We are working to be free. We are working. 
We are. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding renewal in this community for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Now, usually at this point, I would invite you to our virtual coffee hour, but today, before we can socialize, we're having a quick membership meeting to review the budget. So members, after you log out of this meeting, wait a moment to give the tech team a chance to make some quick changes, and then log on to the, the thing you see on the screen. It's tiny.cc slash membership meeting. And the password, which is also the West phone number, 8826650. So please, you know, we can ask folks to log out of here fairly quickly and flip over. So copy the URL. Um, I'll drop it in the chat too. There it is in the chat. Copy it out. Give it a minute. Pop over there. Um, if you're new to our community, you also could um go to tiny.cc slash westconnects to fill out a connection form and um oh yeah sorry it's west membership meeting sorry tiny.cc slash west membership meeting <laughs> um to join the membership meeting shortly um and uh look forward to seeing everybody over there for a quick budget meeting and uh, for connecting to the other parts. Great, thanks everybody. Have a terrific week. Be well, hop on over. <laughs> Bye Alex. Bye Dorothy, thank you. Thanks Trish, bye.